Thank you for tuning into this week's message. Here at Velocity, we love to hear about your life change. So if you have a story about how God has made a move in your life or impacted your life in any way, send an email to amen at findvelocity.org. We hope this message inspires you and builds your faith. Now let's lean in and enjoy the message. Well, welcome everybody. So good to see all of you here. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you leading us this morning. And uh, you can have a seat. I want to Definitely just give a quick shout out to our teams for making this possible. Man, can we just show them some love? You know, portable church in and of itself already takes a lot of work. And then you move that to an outside environment. It takes even more planning. And I just, team, I want you to know that I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for honoring God with your gifts. Thank you for giving up your time. Thank you for being leaders in our church and doing what it takes to move the mission forward and help those far from God come near to life in Christ. And that's what we've got to see at our church. I mean, every week people are making decisions and we got to baptize, celebrate with people baptizing today. And we're celebrating today, nine years as a church. Isn't that awesome? So cool to see the things that God has done in this season of our church. And I'm looking forward to the future. I want to thank you for for coming out. We celebrate those who took a step today to get baptized, but I know there's many of you who took a step today to come out and gather with us. I just want to recognize that, say thank you. Uh, We honor that, and uh, thank you for continuing to prioritize God and his church in your life. It really matters with the things that God wants to do in your life, and uh, I know there's many of you who wanted to uh, join in person today, but you couldn't, and uh, we're so thankful that you're gathering online. We know there's many of you still doing that, and I uh, want to let you know that we love you. I've been looking forward to today all week. I've been preparing. I've been praying. I probably over-prepared, if you want to know the truth. And uh, so I, I asked my wife before I, I got up here, I just asked her to look over my notes and take out anything that was irrelevant, boring, not interesting. And she did that for me. So if you guys would bow your head and close your eyes, we'll uh, pray. No, I, um, I, I really do have a lot to say to you, so I want to get right to it and get into God's Word. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6 is where we're going to begin. And if you didn't bring your Bible, normally we put the words on a giant screen behind me, but since we don't have that, you can use the screen you have in your hand. If you have a phone, you can use the YouVersion Bible app and follow right along. In fact, I put my notes right on there, so if you look for the live events, you'll see Velocity Church and you can follow along with my notes, and and we'll do this together. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart, And brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down 
and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day, that place is called Perazuza. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Now, I want to get into the context of this passage in a moment, because I recognize it's, it's kind of a strange passage, and you might be wondering, how does this even apply to my life? But before I get into it, I just I want to point out for everybody here that David had a desire to have God's presence in his life. That's the main thing you have to take from this passage. So the ark of God represented the presence of God. The ark of God represented God's glory. And David wants God's presence center in his life. And when he tries to bring it back, this whole event goes horribly wrong. And now we see David left wondering, is this even possible? Is it possible to have God's presence in my life the way that I want? Is it possible to restore God to the place that he used to have, to this place of, of prominence? Is it, is it possible to have God in my life like I want him to be? Is it possible to have God in my life like he used to be? And I want to use the title of my message to answer David's question, David's question of how can I bring God into my life? How can I bring God's presence back to this place? How is it possible? And for this final installment of Find Your Circle, I want to answer his question this way, to put a ring on it. Put a ring on it. You can just, just so I know you're with me, I need you to turn to the person sitting next to you. Just tell them, hey, put a ring on it. Put a, I, all, all the single girls, this is your moment. You've been wanting to say this for a while. Now, now's your chance. Put a ring on it. All right. Hey, it's, it's my, my custom to pray before we get into God's word. So would you just bow your head with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to bring your word forth. God, use me. I thank you, God, that you will in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, have you ever felt like maybe you've missed out? Anybody ever felt like you've missed out on something? Uh, maybe you applied for a job and you didn't get the job, you missed out. Maybe uh, there was a party and you didn't get invited to it, you found out about it after the fact, you missed out. Uh, maybe there was a contest and you were trying to win and you didn't win the prize and you missed out. My wife has been trying to win this purse on Instagram all week. She's worried about missing out. Can we just pray for her in this moment, please? Not that she would win, just that God would break this addiction in her life, this <laughs> desire for purses. Missing out. I, you know, I, all of us hate to miss out. And I know last week, if you tuned in, if you were here, I, I talked about how you don't know what you're missing. But this week, we're looking at a passage of Scripture where someone knew exactly what they were missing. You see, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David has just recently become king. And you might know David uh, from the Bible as a boy when he was anointed to be king by Samuel. But just because you're anointed for something doesn't mean that you're ready for something. See, David, he served for years. He served his family. He, he served his father. He served his brothers. He served the king. And he was on the run for his life, literally, from King Saul, the king at the time, Israel's first king. And what we're reading now, King Saul has, has died. And in his death, David has been established as the king over Israel. And as his first kingly act, what he decides to do is to make Jerusalem the capital. And he wants to bring the ark of God 
into the capital. And in doing this, what he's wanting to do is establish God's presence central in his life and in the life of the nation. Now, when I'm talking about the ark, I understand I'm not talking about Noah's ark, okay? That's a different ark. It's a different time period. The, the ark here, what we're talking about is a chest. It's a box. And the, the ark is significant because, as I said, it represented God's presence, represented his glory. And you got to think of it like a little bit of heaven on earth. The ark is relevant to us because in some ways that's what the church is. The, the church is like heaven on earth earth. You understand, like at our church, we're not just trying to get people to heaven. We're trying to get heaven to people. The, the church is the place where heaven meets earth. There's something special about this place, and there was something special about the ark because it was this visible reminder of an invisible God who dwelled with his people. It first comes on the scene in the book of Exodus, where Moses, he is on Mount Sinai. He's getting uh, instructions from God. He's getting the Ten Commandments from God. And God says, hey, I want to dwell with my people. I know you guys are, are dwelling in tents right now. I want to dwell with you. And he says, he gives him some instructions. He tells him to build some furniture, the most important of which was this ark. And he says, wherever you go, this ark is going to go with you. It's, it's going to be in the center of the camp. It's, it's going to be central to your life. But where we're looking at it in Samuel at this point in history this ark that was once central to everything the Israelites did, now it's been sitting warehoused for over 30 years in this guy Abinadab's house. So when David becomes king and he says, I want your presence at the center of my life. I want to prioritize you. I want you back in the place where you belong to bring you to the center of the nation. I'm just saying I need to start here because I think all of us, we want God's center and what we're doing. I mean, we might not use those words, but in the same way as we understand what the ark meant, God's provision, God's protection, God's promise, God's presence, God's help, God's blessing, all of us would say, man, I want that in my life. I don't think there's any of us who would say, yeah, you know, I, I like going about things my own way. It may not be easy, may have to learn the hard way, but I, I, would, I would rather learn the hard way. I would rather struggle. I don't think any of us want that. Even if you're here, maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you're here. I think you would say, you know, maybe I don't believe in God, but I want the results that God can give. If God can work in my life, I'd at least like to know how he could help me. And that's what David wants. He, he wants God's presence central in his life just like we do, central in our decisions, central in our actions. And he's recognizing that this hasn't been the case for a long period of time. He says, I want to change it, but he runs into a problem. And this is where I want to get into the story because what he wants to do is good, to bring the ark back, to have God central. This is a good thing, but he goes about it in the wrong way. Have you ever done the right thing the wrong way? Have you ever wanted to do a good thing, but maybe the way you tried to make it happen wasn't the best? You had a good desire, but you didn't fulfill it in the right way. You had good intentions, but the way you tried to make it happen, it ended up with a bad result. That's what's going on here. And see, I can relate to this because like the Israelites, they were under the Mosaic law. We're not under the Mosaic law, but at my house, we don't have the Mosaic law. We have something called the Marissa law. And the Marissa law, there is a specific way that things are, are supposed to be done. Like, I thought it was enough. Like, 
this good desire to keep my shoes picked up. I thought it was enough just to put them in the closet, but that's not enough. I learned once I got married that they have to go in a box on a shelf in the closet. Like I thought it was just enough like to want to vacuum the floor, but that's not how you do it in our house. Like you have to vacuum the floor where there are straight lines and you have to start at the far end of the room and work your way backwards so that there's no footprints left over in the carpet. Am I speaking to anybody? You're not in your heads. You can be dismissed. It's wanting to do the right thing the wrong way. And that's what's happening here. And it's shocking because we know David has a good desire, but it ends horribly wrong. And it's not just shocking to us. It's shocking to David. We read in the text, it seems so aggressive. He doesn't understand it. He wants to do right, but it turns out bad. And what stood out to me is the emotions that he's left with. Because after this happened, after he has this desire to bring the ark of God back and someone dies, it says that David was left with two emotions. He was angry and afraid. See, that was really interesting to me, angry and afraid, because I thought if there's ever two words in the history uh, of time to describe what people are experiencing right now, that there's probably these two words, people are angry and afraid. And I wondered if maybe the reason so many people are angry or afraid right now it's because they have a good desire, but they're trying to solve it in the wrong way. They're going about it the wrong way. Now, when we read what happened here in 2 Samuel, it's really easy to understand how this happened. Because on the surface, this makes a lot of sense. You see, Uzzah and Abinadab had had the ark in their family for over 30 years. So when David says, hey, I, I, I want to bring the ark back, it just made sense to say, look, you guys, you know this better than anybody. He trusted them to make the right arrangements. I mean, after all, the, the ark has been entrusted to their care. It was their responsibility to watch over this. They knew the ark better than anybody. So when David makes his desire known to, to bring it back, Uzzah, he speaks up. He's got this great idea. He says, I know exactly how I want to do it. Not the way that God had prescribed, not the way it was supposed to happen. No, Uzzah said, let's put it on a cart. Let's bring it back this way. I mean, for one, it's going to be a lot more efficient. It's going to be a lot more convenient. And I can do it myself. I, I can be in charge of it. The only problem is that in Exodus 25, where God gives the instructions about how to build this ark and what it's supposed to do, he explicitly states how to carry it. He says, Moses, when you build this ark, make it out of acacia wood. And when you make it, it needs to be two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide and one and a half cubits tall. And you need to overlay every piece of it with gold. And when you go to carry it, you need to carry it a very specific way. And it tells us in Exodus 25, 12, it's in your notes there. He says, I want you to make four gold rings for carrying the box. I want you to put a ring on each corner, two rings on each side. Somebody say, put a ring on it. So I want you to put a ring on it in order to carry it. See, there were supposed to be four rings on this box with two poles going through the rings and four guys would carry this box on their shoulders and not just any guys. The, the guys who were supposed to carry it were supposed to be descendants of Moses. They were Levites and 
Nobody else was supposed to touch it. This was the only way it was supposed to be transported. But Uzzah thought he knew better. Uzzah thought, you know what? That's not convenient for me. And honestly, I mean, why should God even care? I'm, I'm doing what the king asked me to do. I'm carrying it back to Jerusalem as long as I get it there. I'm doing the right thing. What's it matter how I do it? And the moment everything went downhill, the oxen stumbled, the cart began to tip. Uzzah reached out his hand to stabilize it, and he was struck dead on the spot. Isn't this an uplifting message? Happy birthday, Velocity. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I mean, that's what it, it's really what it's like. It's like, God, man, why you got to be so harsh? I mean, what's, what's with the anger issues? Can't you give this guy another chance? I mean, just the first mess up and it's like, bam, why would you do that, God? God doesn't even get a warning. But the reality is this is a glimpse into a much bigger problem in Uzzah's life. Because you got to remember, Uzzah has spent the last 30 years watching over the ark. You see, Uzzah's job was to understand the regulations. He knew the rules. He knew what Moses had said. He knew that only Levites were supposed to carry this box. He knew all of these things. The problem is he started to feel self-important, which is a problem for any of us when we've been entrusted with something valuable. Anytime we've been given something valuable, whether, whether it's a, an item or a role or a responsibility, it's easy for us to think that, well, you know, maybe I really am important. And the thing I want to stress to you is that you are valuable. God has entrusted you with something valuable. You have a, a valuable call on your life. You have something God made you to do that only you can do. And the reason this is important for us is because when we're looking at this passage, this isn't just about Uzzah. This is about us. Because if you've placed your faith in Christ, like we've had people demonstrate today by getting baptized. You see, the presence of God doesn't dwell in an ark. It, it dwells in every believer. So every single one of us have been given the responsibility of carrying the presence of God into every situation, every space and place that we step into. You're valuable to God. Your call is valuable, but, but don't get it twisted. Don't start thinking that because what you've been given to do is so important that now everything becomes about you. That's what Uzzah did. He started thinking, man, what's, what's convenient for me in this moment? What, what do I need in this moment? How do I want this to go? Not what has God said, what's best for me? And see, what Uzzah represents is the guy who had God in a box. God, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to keep you here, confined to this space. I, I want you to understand, his death was not sudden. His death was years in the making. It's almost like, God, I got this. I'm good. I'll do it my way. I'll bring you along the way that I want. But if you want to receive God's presence in your life, you want God to move, God to work, God to bless, you want his word, his promise, his spirit, you got to do it God's way. So back to David's question, how can I bring the presence of God into my life? How, 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 how do I bring it near? 
To quote Moses, you got to put a ring on it. I, I think I was drawn to, to the rings because, like, the rings, it's this, this symbol. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm thinking of, of Nate, our next-gen director. He's getting married next week, so I got his, his wedding. And such an applause. He better be here. I don't even see where he's at, but... Maybe I was thinking about his wedding. Maybe I was thinking about the baptisms because it's a symbol. It's this outward symbol of this inward transformation. See, the ring represents covenant and commitment. And it's those two words, covenant and commitment, that really connect Exodus to Samuel. See, every time God makes a covenant, we're supposed to make a commitment. He requires commitment. I mean, just think about even the new covenant, the the life that we have in Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to bring my presence into you. I'm going to live in you. But you have to make a commitment. You have to commit your life to him. You're not committing to live perfectly. You're committing to believe him, to take him at his word. You're committing to believe his promises, to obey his word. It's a commitment. So how do you bring the presence of God and center into our lives? It's, it takes this commitment. You got to put a ring on it. And for the time remaining, I'll move through this quickly. But if we want to answer this question that David said, how, how do I bring it back? How, how do I keep God central? I want to tell you, you got to put a ring on it. The first one is this. You got to commit to gathering gathering. What I want you to know is that this requires group effort. We're talking about finding your circle. We're finding about getting in a group. And the way the ark was supposed to be carried required group effort. We see a little bit more about this later on in scripture. First Chronicles recounts the same story. See, after this ark event went horribly wrong, David's like, hold up, We're not going to go any further. Stopping this right now, I don't want, we're doing damage control. They left the ark of God in the house of somebody, Obed-Edom. Three months later, after David had had a chance to do some research to inquire, we see in 1 Chronicles, he says, hey, the first time we tried to bring it, we failed to ask the Lord about the right way to move it. And he punished us because you Levites did not carry it. See, They were supposed to carry it together. Uzzah's problem was he wanted to do it by himself. And you can't do this by yourself. God's power and God's presence comes in when we gather together. This requires group effort. I can't shoulder this all by myself. I need the right people around me. And what I'm trying to help you see is that in this season, there there may be some of you who are doing the right thing but you're going about it the wrong way. And you wonder why you're feeling angry and afraid. You wonder why why there's havoc. You wonder why it's not working. It's because you're trying to do it alone. Like I said last week, you, you have to follow God for yourself, but you cannot follow him by yourself. The church is the people of God. The, the, the church is a body of believers. It's not a person. There's no such thing as a single solitary Christian. You got to be connected to a body, to a group of people. You got to commit to gathering at wherever your comfort level is. If it's gathering online, then commit 
to gathering online. If your comfort level is small, then get in a small group and gather that way. If, if your comfort level is a little bit bigger, then be part of our watch parties. And, and if it's bigger than that, when we resume gatherings on October 4th, commit to the gathering. C commit to the gathering. It, it's vital for your life. Uzzah died because he was trying to do the, wrong, the right thing the wrong way. And the wrong way was him doing it by himself. You got to commit to gathering, but then you also, you also got to commit to covering. You got to commit to covering. And, and I need some help with this. Uh, Danny and Sarah, you guys come up here. I need your guys' help to illustrate this. You're clapping for them. You don't even know what I'm going to ask them to do yet. That's brave. I like your faith. See, whenever the ark was supposed to be transported, again, you got to do it the right way. It was supposed to be transported with a covering. Now, in 2 Samuel, we don't know whether it had the covering or not. And so rather than hypothesize about that, I, I want to tell you a little bit about it. So, uh, Dan, I'm just going to have you stand here. Sari, you're, you're going to stand here. Because this covering was really significant. It was really special. Uh, you even see a little bit about it in, in our text in, in verse 2 where it says, Bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. See, the covering of this ark was called the mercy seat. That was the covering. And, and the reason uh, it was called that was because uh, when, when God talked to Moses about how to create this, he said, I want you to make the covering for this. I want you to put two angels on each side. That's why you're up here. Danny told me you look like an angel. So, um, so with this, easy now, the, the covering was the mercy seat. So what I want you to do, he said, I want you, he, God said to Moses, take these, make two angels, put them on the side. You can guys get a little closer. This is going to be the lid, all right? And they faced each other. He said, these angels are supposed to be facing each other. You okay with me touching you? All right. I, I bathed in hand sanitizer this morning. And, and, and then he said that these angels, they had wings. And the, the wings, this is one wing. You guys okay touching? Be careful how you answer. All right. They said the, the wings are supposed to be touching. So there's one wing. Here's another wing. Here's the cover. Here's the angels. This is the mercy seat. It says that this is where my presence is going to dwell. I'm going to be here where there's mercy. I'm going to be here in the covering. But here's what else was interesting. He said, when you make these angels, you can read about it in Exodus 25. It's all there. Read it for yourself. He says, I want you to make these angels, make them out of gold, make them facing each other. I want you to make their wings touching, but they're not supposed to look eye to eye. I want, the, I want them to look down <laughs> towards the covering. I want them to look down at mercy. Here's why this is important. Because you see, when you get in a group and you get connected in a group, you don't have to see eye to eye. You, you don't have to agree on everything to connect. You, you don't have to see eye to eye on everything, but if you can see each other through the covering, if you can see each other through mercy, if you can see each other through what God has done in his blood, you can connect. And we don't need to let the devil tear apart our unity simply because we don't see eye to eye on something. Thank you, guys. That's great. So you got to be committed to covering. That's what I love about groups is when you get in a group, there's a covering. What am I saying? I'm saying it's a safe place. It's a place where there's protection. 
It's a place where you can be vulnerable. It's a place where you can share what's happening in your life. I'm not saying that it happens overnight. I'm not saying it should happen on the first time of your meeting. That might be a little weird, but what I am saying is that it is a safe place. There's a covering. There's a covering from being connected to church, a spiritual covering where there's, there's protection, there's grace, there's mercy. That's why it's so important that you commit to gathering, but commit to covering, to see each other through mercy, to cover. But you also need to commit to honoring. Commit to honoring. See, this is really Uzzah's downfall because he thought, man, I don't need to do things the way God has said. I, I, I can do it my own way. I, I know that God has said one thing, but guess what, God? I'm going to do you a favor. And what's interesting about when we read about his failure in 2 Samuel chapter 6, so Uzzah wanted to do it by himself, but he wasn't alone. It says that David gathered 30,000 people. Uzzah's like, I got the cart. I'm good. But David, David's throwing a party. David's got his musicians. He's got his worship team. They're, they're celebrating God. But when everything goes wrong, well, everybody else is dancing. But what's Uzzah doing? He's just going through the motions. He doesn't, everybody else is honoring God, but Uzzah has no honor in his heart. Now, why is that? I, I think maybe it's because he grew up with this thing in his house. You see, what's interesting is the ark, you, you read about in Exodus, it was supposed to stay in a tent hidden behind a veil the only people who were supposed to see it go near it were the priests. But for Uzzah, I mean, he's never known life without this thing. For Uzzah, the ark is just a piece of furniture in his house. It's like, there's my bed. There's the kitchen sink. Oh, and there's the ark of the covenant. He's become too familiar with it. He, he's known it. And see, my, my concern is that one of the dangers, we let church just become one more thing. There's no honor. Honor is celebrating the difference. The Bible is just another app on my phone. Church is just another thing I watch on my computer screen, just like I watch Netflix, just like I watch YouTube. Church is just another event in the calendar of my week. It's just one more place where I go. It's just one more thing for my kids. My concern is that sometimes we let church, we approach God like it is just one more thing among many. But honor's about celebrating difference. See, what Uzzah shows us is that familiarity can be fatal when, when we approach it too casual, casually. His casual attitude is what killed him. I don't understand. Like, I'm not down on technology. Like, I read the Bible on my phone every day. Not down on technology. In fact, even though we're resuming gatherings on October 4th, we're putting more money, more energy, more time, more resource into our online experience, thinking of ways we can connect with people, gather with people, reach people. I'm not down on any of that. But what I am saying is, I know God will not go where there is no honor. And so as a church, we have to make sure that we recognize that this is not just one more thing, that this is something special. This is something significant. That this is something separate. From, we got to celebrate and recognize the difference of this. I'm going to ask you to commit to honoring. But finally, I want to ask you to commit to offering. To commit to offering. See, when David realized that he got it wrong, and the first time we tried this, it wasn't right. 
well, we got to change our approach. We got to do it God's way. He, he made a change. So what did he do? He, he gathered the Levites together. He says, guys, this isn't a one-man job. I, I need you to come together on this. I want all of you to, to lift this. Carry it on your shoulders. You, you got to shoulder your, your part. I got to shoulder my part. We, we got to shoulder this together. They lifted it up. They lifted up the mercy seat. They were under the covering. And then he, he brought his worship team back. It says that they were dancing, they were celebrating, they were honoring God with shouts and with trumpets. There was gathering, the, the, there was covering, there was honoring. But there was something different about this time. Because after they lifted up the ark, after they lifted up the mercy seat, and, and they, they began to, to take a step, they took one. And then they took another step together, two. And then they took another step together, three. And then took another step, four took another step, five, and when they took the sixth step, they said, all right, hold up, hold up. Don't, don't, don't take one more step. Before you take one more step, we got to make a sacrifice. We, we got to make an offering. Now, it's significant that they would do that before the seventh step, because you see in Scripture, seven represents completeness. Seven represents wholeness. It represents fullness. It represents totality. It's a fulfillment. So David's saying, hey, before I can move forward fully, I got to give something back to God. Before I can go where God wants me to go, I have to recognize that I need him. I can't move forward fully unless I first make a sacrifice to him. I got to honor him. But the thing that's interesting about this with it being fullness, is that sometimes we want to give God something, but we don't want to give God everything. And see, by David doing it before the seventh step, he's saying, God, I want to give you everything. I want you to have everything. I'm not just going to do this. Six is as far as I can go. I know what I can do on my own. God, I need you. I want you to have everything. And sometimes we make the mistake of stopping short and not offering God everything. But I want to ask you to commit to offering everything. God, whatever you need is yours. Whatever I have is yours. This was a special offering because Scripture later tells us it was a burnt offering. The burnt offering was significant because they would lay their hands on the animals as a substitute for their sin. See, really what was happening here, it, it was a transference of saying, God, take my sin. It was really a moment of looking to the cross of what Jesus would do later on the cross where he became the substitute for our sin and our shame. Sometimes that's what keeps us from offering God everything. Sometimes we think God just wants the good parts of our life, but God wants everything. He'll take your sin, he'll take your shame, he'll take the parts of you that you think are unofferable, and he just says, offer me everything. Thank you so much for joining us for this teaching at Velocity. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on more great messages, just like this one. If today's message impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others with the message of Jesus, go to findvelocity.org backslash give, and you can partner with us financially. Thanks again for tuning in. Have an amazing week, Velocity. And remember, 
wherever you are, just keep moving forward.